turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We are in our fourth week on our family, in our Families Count series on Sunday mornings. We're going into our third week. We've been through two discussions already in our home groups regarding Families Count as well. Uh, I do want to tell you by way of announcement, uh, it's come to our attention that there's a lot of clarity that is needed about Families Count. Um, we want to be able to provide that for you. And so Tuesday of this week and next week, uh, we've got two more weeks in our series, uh, we want to provide an opportunity to clarify exactly what Families Count is. Uh, it may not be for everybody. I know we've got home groups that meet on that night as well. But we're going to be meeting here at 6.30 this Tuesday night and next Tuesday night to discuss family count, Families Count in greater detail. Uh, this Tuesday night, Jeremiah, as well as our licensed, our, our people that have already gone through the training, uh, Kathy and Lawrence Gentry, uh, are going to be here. And they're going to kind of give an encapsulation of what the entire material and curriculum looks like very, very quick, very brief study. They're not going to be able to get into a lot of details, but just the holistic view of what is necessary to give families for the state, what's necessary for the families to, to receive in order to get approval through them, but also what we are trying to teach them as it relates to the gospel of Christ. And so we've been tracking that somewhat in our home groups, but we want to make that available to you. So we would love for you to participate in that if possible. Um, and so we want to make that as an outlet for you. But we are in this, this fourth week. We've talked about how God has given our families purpose. Right? We have a purpose in the families that we are placed in, and that purpose is ultimately to reflect God in every area of our life. That God has placed and knit our families together when we work in partnership with one another, along with one another, in the role of husband, wife, and children. We reflect God's glory, we reflect who He is as being, being His image bearers in relationship with one another. Uh, we talked about last week how God can change these generational cycles of sin in our life, how God can give freedom in these areas that seem like to us, some of us may even seem like it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to struggle in these areas of sin, how God can change radically those areas in our life, and he can declare all things new, that the, the curse, your family can be different. This week, we want to talk about how our families are a team. And in that light, a team, every person in every team plays a certain role. And so in doing that, we are also explaining a little bit more about what this ministry, Families Count, is. Uh, in the fall, we are going to need role players. We're going to need volunteers that are willing to make this thing work. We've got leaders that are designated, some to do the logistics of everything, some to do the teaching of everything, but we need role players to help pull off what we're trying to do. The first thing is, I know we've got some good cooks in here. Because uh, we've been eating some of that good food this week while my wife has been sick. And we need people to prepare meals. One of the benefits of this, that we, that are the appeal to some of these families is that we provide a meal where we get to sit across from these families and engage with them and build relationship. 
uh, with them. And so we're going to be providing a meal. In the fall, we're going to need six different meals provided. Not a ton of people, but whoever is going to be there, we need those meals provided. We need people who are willing to transport families back and forth um, to the meeting and from the meeting. Some of those, that's a huge hurdle is transportation for some of these families. And so to be told, hey, we've got people that'll pick you up and people that'll drop you off is a huge, huge thing for them. And guess what we get to do the whole time that we're taking them to and from? Share Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus from in the back seat, right? Like we get to tell them about Jesus. Um, and then we're gonna need people that are willing to mentor uh, one of the coolest parts of this ministry is six weeks, man. That is like scratching the surface of, of what these families really, truly need. And so we've got family. We're going to need families or individuals that will come alongside a single mother or come alongside a single dad or come alongside a couple and to help them to grow, help them to mature, help them to, to provide support. I'm not talking about throwing money at stuff. Sometimes, in fact, that's the worst thing we can do but who can come along and mentor and walk alongside these families as they seek to win back their kids, as they seek to uh, pass some of these milestones. And we get an opportunity to speak hope and life. But we need you in order to do that. And so be praying about how God would enlist you to serve in this ministry. Uh, we may need child care. Uh, some of the families with steps and halves and all of these kind of children, we, we, we will probably need some child care at certain points. We probably need, we'll need some security in that time as well. And so some of our security team, if you're not a part of our security team, talk to us about it. Mark, you want to mark on that connect card. Do you want to join a ministry team and mark security and we'll get you in touch with who you need to be in touch with. But we would love to see you being active because everybody as a team, just like our families, everybody has a role to play. I think it's important we look at the role of our family because there are many different pictures that the scriptures use to portray who is God's people. The New Covenant, New Testament church, who are they? And they're described in many different ways. The, one of the dearest ways to us is that we are described as the family of God. We're not all God's children. When you were born, you were not born as one of God's children. You were created by God, but you were not a child of God. You, became, you become a child of God once you make the decision to trust Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And so when you do that, we are invited into the family of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 tells us that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are part, we are fellow citizens, saints, and members of the household of God. The same God that holds heaven and earth in the palm of his hand has made us a member of his household. And so because we are the family of God, God has called us to function in our families as a part of his greater family. Our families are designed by God to function, each one with their unique roles and personalities to create an effective team. And so I want you to do this. I want you to look around at your family that's in here today. And if you're, they're not in here, I want you to think about it. I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about the family, the members that make up your family. I know some of your children may be in childcare. I know you got other families spread out other places. But I want you to think about the family that God has placed you in. I want you to consider this. 
God in his power could have placed you wherever with your unique blend of personality and intricacies and quirks and weaknesses. He could have placed you in any family, anywhere in the world, at any point in history. But he he chose in control of it all to place you in the context that you currently live in. More than that, he has placed every one of your family members in the context of your home. Why did he do that? Well, it was either by accident or maybe it was a very meaningful representation that God has of a purpose for your family to bring glory to himself. And so God has put us in this place, in his sovereignty, so that we would make maximum kingdom impact. Any family in history, any family in the world, and he's placed you here. He's placed you now. He's placed you in this faith family for a purpose and for a reason. But all families, number one, In your notes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 shows us that all families require true togetherness. All families require true togetherness. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, This I was at a vow renewal last night of two people that were re-idoing themselves to one another in their 25th wedding anniversary, Neil and Crystal Miller. And, that, and Joseph Baker, our, our student pastor, read this passage of Scripture speaking to the relationship of a man and a woman together in this relationship. But listen to what he says. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Man, this speaks of the togetherness that God has called our families to live within. Do our families look like this degree of self-sacrifice? Two are better than one. In times of profit, when the time of harvest comes. Why? Because two are working and not just one. So the reward, what they reap, the benefit, is greater than the sum of their parts. Their partnership together creates a greater profit than they would have alone. Two are better than one in times of failure. I believe this to be one of the greatest weaknesses of the church today. We have failed in the area of accountability. Coming to a church does not make you, to a church building does not make you part of a church. But for people to understand your struggles and your weaknesses, to be able to pray and lift you up, this is the power of the gospel, of gospel accountability in our life. Listen, I'm strong sometimes in my walk with the Lord, but that's not the problem. The problem is I'm also weak at times. 
And if I don't have the people in my life that are intentionally asking me the questions that they need to ask me, the difficult questions in my life, if I'm not cluing them into my weaknesses and the ways that I'm prone to be tempted, if I'm not doing that intentionally in my life, when I fall, I stay there. And I believe many, far too many people in the church today are in a spiritual paralysis They have fallen and there is no... Though you are around and may be right now surrounded by a ton of people, there is no one in your family, there's no one in your circle of friends, there's no one in your faith family that knows what you're going through. Every relationship is superficial. When they fall, there's someone to pick them up. Two are better than one in times of failure. I am thankful for brothers that can pick me up in my relationship with the Lord. I'm thankful for my bride, who's the greatest accountability partner the Lord could have ever given me. And the worst thing we could ever do in our relationship, you don't talk about committing relationship suicide, is for me to keep from my wife the things of my greatest spiritual struggle. I'd be crazy. There's nobody more invested and cares more about me and is willing to seek the Lord more on my behalf than this woman right here. Two are better than one. I am better for the kingdom because of my relationship with my bride. They're better in times of need. I've talked with people in our church before. I don't know how people go through hard stuff without the church. I just don't know how they do it. I mean, I guess they survive, some of them. But I don't know how you get through it. But to have people walk alongside you to support you. And if you've never walked through a difficult circumstance, you may not understand when people say, we can feel the prayers, what that means, until you've been there. And then you go, I know what I am doing is not possible on my own strength. I am feeling the prayers of other people. Why? Because I'm weak. I've fallen. I'm hurting. And somebody, somebody is interceding for me. I don't know how people do it without the support of a church family. In the time of need, the two, rather rather than being cold alone in times of survival, for our literal spiritual survival, to be together, to to warm one another in, in Christian comfort, right? Although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. What does that say? Listen, if I'm on my own, I could get whooped. But if I've got a buddy, I'm probably not getting whooped. Right? Now that's the lick skillet vernacular to that application to that, that verse. Right? But there's strength in numbers. So who is there in your life that makes you strong? Who is there to be vulnerable with your weaknesses that you can share together in true togetherness and meet one another's need? Listen, it can be frustrating. There can be nothing more frustrating in all the world than feeling like sometimes you're dragging someone spiritually or you are trying to sow. In there. That can be the most frustrating thing in the world, but I love what John Maxwell says. He says, go alone and you'll go faster. And that's true. I mean, you get up and go. I can decide right now I'm going to do something. I'm just going to go do it, right? Go alone, go faster, but go together and you go further. To go together means we go further. 
So who is it? And listen, I'm not talking about everybody getting up here and having the, the, the last day of church camp and, and student ministry experience where we're all airing out all our dirty laundry to everybody in the church. But I'm saying everybody doesn't have to know everything. But I'm saying that somebody should know everything. Somebody should. So they can be praying. Why? Because two is greater than one. I think it's unique that Christ hasn't just called us to be a part of his family. We are his bride. He has described us as his bride and he has made us ready for him. Listen, my bride is not like me. Thank God. My bride is not like me. My children are not like me, but we work together. We're unified together. But this is not, this is unity. It's not uniformity. God's not asking that everybody in the church and everybody in our home be the exact same. That's a recipe for disaster. But God is using all of us in our differences and our personalities. God is using all of us to make up his bride. Jesus died for you, yes, but in a greater sense, Jesus died for his bride. And he died for you in as much as you are a part of the bride of Christ. Guess what? When we fell, he picked us up. He came for us. And so in the same way, we model this in our homes. We model this in relationship. This is true in the church. If you're here, there's a reason why. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I know the reason why you're here. You're here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has made himself available to you through relationship by his son who he gave to be the substitute for your sin and your failures. He died, he took your penalty, your punishment for sin that you were born in, he took that and he bore it on a cross so that you could have a way to get to God. How to do that is to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To let go of your life and to surrender yourself to him and his purposes. That is God's desire and design for you. It's why you're here. But if you have a relationship with Christ, there is a reason why God put you in this body of believers. You've got a role to play. You have got a part to play in what God is doing, not just to bring salvation to you, but to bring salvation to others. This passage in Ecclesiastes 4 is about meeting the needs of community. When you see them down, when you see them cold, uh, when you see them hurting, right? To increase profit, it's all about the other person. Just as your spouse and children have needs, so does your faith family. We meet the needs in our home that only we can meet. We've talked about this in our home groups. What's the roles that only you fill in your home and how has God called you to do that to redirect glory to himself? I love how Jeremiah talks about that this is just he's a numbers guy. There are over 200 volunteer positions that need to be filled every month in our church. I don't know about you, that's a huge need. And if God has met the need of a church family, of a group of believers in your life, then how is he using you to meet that need in someone else's? 
How is he enlisting you to be a part of filling those needs that we get the gospel to this community? More than that, I'll tell you, when we launched in the gym, there's nothing that reminds you that you are for the needs of the community like actually relying on the community to meet the need of where you're going to meet on a Sunday morning. And there are so many pastors that be like, man, Alan, I bet you are so glad that y'all are through with set up and tear down. And there's a part of me that says, yo, buddy. Why? Because I don't like getting here at seven o'clock in the morning and setting up. And that was when we had things clicking, right? We were getting here at like 5.30 and six, right? And, I, and just to pull off one service, if we had to go to two, my goodness, I don't know how early we'd have had to been there. So there's parts of it that I don't miss. But there's a part of it And that when we began as a church, there was a passion and there was a hunger and there were roles to play and people played them. I promise you guys, I'm not getting after you. I'm not not trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit to convict you. What I am is telling you, listen, we have more people right now than ever before that's involved in our home groups. More than ever before. Do you know what that means? We got more kids than ever before on Wednesday nights in North Kids. We need people to play that role. We need people to stand in that gap. Why? So that moms and dads can pour themselves into their studies. Or as they're rotating in and out, they don't have to be gone every other week from home group. They can be gone once or twice a semester instead of the entire semester because somebody's got to be there. We've got roles that we can play. Listen, one of the very first things we did as a church is concession stands. Y'all remember that? Some of you that, that have been here for a while? I bet there are people in this room that the first engagement you ever had with our church was over a hot dog that we were handing you with a shirt on that said North, Lindsay Lane North. If that meant something in you, I want you to know it can mean something for somebody else. And so... When we make these opportunities, here's my, here's my question. I'm not telling you, because some people are going to be like, man, I'm already doing so much, but I'll do this too, because the pastor's done God on a soapbox. Like, I, 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 that's not you, okay? But listen, do you make it a matter of prayer when a need comes up in your church? Or do you say, nah, don't feel like it, I'm out? Well, they're ringing the bell for concession stand duty again. Scroll. And I promise, guys, why? Because the body of Christ is most effective when all members are participating as they should. We are his bride. We are together. Secondly, families require humble teamwork. All families require humble teamwork. Now, we're in a very awkward time of the year. An awkward time of the year between my favorite sport of football and my second favorite sport of baseball. Uh, This is intermediary time. I call it hunting season, but some of you call it basketball season. Our family decided we like the duck blind a little more than we like the basketball court, so that's what we do. But basketball is an interesting game. And now that Alabama has fielded a somewhat decent basketball team, like, I'll watch. I'm a bandwagon. That's fine. Y'all can call me whatever. It ain't, it, ain't, it ain't tied to salvation. All right? But I like to watch them play. I don't understand basketball. But basketball is a, where football is a perfect team sport in that everybody has to do their job. 
or the play doesn't go anywhere. Basketball is fast. It is about instinct, and a lot of it is reflex. And I'm going to tell you, the whole idea and premise of it really escapes me. I don't know how to get open on a basketball, fi- on a basketball field. See, there you go. Basketball court. I know it's called a court, okay? It was a slip of the tongue. You try to talk all as much as I do. Um, I don't know how to get open on a basketball court. Everybody's like, hey, there's a big guy. I bet he can score you know, down low in the post. No, I can't, because I don't know how to get open down there. I can raise my hand, and maybe you can throw it over a bunch of middle school kids. I can probably dominate that. Right, But I don't understand, but basketball is so unique in that you see these roles played out in a very quick-paced game. Almost without thinking, people are playing a role that they were designed to play. And, and listen, they don't all look the same. Now, sure, you've got the guys like me, the Shaquille O'Neal's of the world, the centers of the world. They're going to post up down low. You don't get them the ball. They're going to rebound. They're going to score at the basket. You've got those people, but they don't all look the same. In fact, one of the people that you would look at and go, man, they ain't good at basketball at all, would be the point guard. And they're the most important position in the whole thing because they're, they're distributing the ball. They're getting the ball to the people that can be successful. Yeah, they got some handles, but that's all. That, that's what they do. That's their job. And so they're usually the shortest on the team, but they get the ball where it needs to go. You got the specialized players, the wing players that are shooting from the perimeter, right? That they may have one job. You get the ball, you shoot ball. Or you lock down this guy on defense. But they're playing a role. Basketball is a game that not always is about the most talented team A lot of times it's about the team that's playing the role. And so defense and offense is predicated on getting people out of the role. Because if I can get someone out of their role, I can create a mismatch and an advantage for myself. And I'm just here to tell you, Satan is an expert at getting people out of the role that they were intended to play. Through comfort, through ease, through frustration... If I can get them out of the role, I can make the team that is the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. I can make them disjointed. I can create inefficiency and ineffectiveness. And so we're playing as a team. The families require humble teamwork. We are Christ's body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. We are Christ's Body. This is another beautiful picture of many made into one. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are not, are one body, so it is with Christ. Right? I am one person, one body, but I'm made up of many members, many parts of my body. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. You need to highlight and underline that in your Bibles as it relates to how you view the church. The church does not exist for a member. The church exists For the body. Why? Because the body reflects the head and the head is Christ. So personal preference, while it might get you in the door, you like how Will leads worship. You like how I use basketballs as illustrations sometimes. You like how we format our groups. You like how the children's stuff does. Preference may get you in the door. It will never make you part of the church. Never. 
That comes when we recognize the role that we are called to play as a part, as a member of a part of a greater body. And so we think that way according, uh, godly humility requires thinking of the body rather than the individual members. Look at Romans 12. Keep your hand in, in, Romans, in 1 Corinthians 12, but turn to Romans 12. Listen to the great enemy that exists in the body. Why do we continue to think of the one rather than the many? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. According to this passage, there is something about our pride that runs counter to working as a team. And we see that, don't we? Man, we know about the prima donnas that play basketball and football and baseball, that it's all about them. They want the money. They'll hold out. They won't go to practice. They won't do all the off-season stuff because they want to get their money right. And until they get their money, they ain't playing. It ain't about the team for them. It's about the individual. Man, those people can become cancers. In the locker room, those people that are about themselves and about the member as opposed to the whole, they can uh, become about themselves. They're they're cancerous. They're divisive. They divide the locker room. We see this, don't we, In, in, in the context of teams. I would argue that egos can wreak havoc in a family too. It's what would leave the kid, lead the kid to say, you know what, I know better than my mom and dad, which by the way, just live a little. Just give it a year, give it a few years. But I know better than them, and I want mine, and I'm, so I'm going to go and pursue it regardless of what they say. It's what leads to rebellion. It's selfishness. It's ego. It's what would lead families and marriages to break apart. And why are we getting out? Well, because it no longer makes me happy to be with this person. Well, the Scripture is clear that God intended for man to cleave to woman and the two to become one flesh. And if Paul would say that it's not about the man and the woman anymore, it's not just about marriage anymore, now it's about our relationship with Christ, then our marriages are a reflection. You know what that means? That means happiness. Even if it passes for a time, it ain't about that. We've become selfish and egocentric, and so we pursue what makes us happy instead of what makes us holy. And in so doing that... Our families are destroyed. This is what we see here. Egos can wreak havoc in the church. Well, the church isn't doing what I think it ought to do. It ain't meeting the need that it needs to meet in my life, so I'm out. I want you to know I've got some people in our church right now that I don't necessarily agree with certain things. Specifically, we've had conversations about it this week. But can I tell you what is so special about the kingdom of God? I don't have, we don't have to be uniform. We don't all have to be the same. God doesn't even call us the same things all the time. But I can disagree with them about areas, and we can still pursue Christ together. That's the greatness that is Jesus. He's the only hope for this world to be unified. Why do we live in a country that's unified? Because we're trying to unite under something that's not Jesus. The great indictment against the church is we have Christ. And it's not enough. Why? Because we're not thinking of the body. We're thinking of individual members. We're thinking 
of ourself. I'm thankful for the people that I can trust the Holy Spirit of God in their life. And even if we don't agree, they can trust me and the, how God is working in my heart through his Holy Spirit. And I can trust them and how God is working in their heart. And we can pursue Jesus together, though we doesn't look the exact same. That's a beautiful, harmonious relationship. What is that? It's playing roles. It's me not operating in the role in, as, as one member, but operating as the member that God has called me to be. God, godly humility comes on the grounds of God's grace. What he says there is, there's something about our pride that runs counter to the working as a team. Listen to what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say... By the grace of God, I say to you, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. You know why? Because the things that you're enjoying, chances are you didn't get them. They were given to you. What is God's grace? God's grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And I promise you in this room, we are all recipients of God's grace. In light of what God has given to you, by all means, do not make this about you. Don't make it about the members individually. Make it about the body, his body to reflect his glory. Thirdly and finally, families require unique talents. Unique talents. I'm thankful that my wife does not bring the same stuff to the table that I do. I'm real glad she doesn't bring the same weaknesses to the table that I do. But in many ways, my wife is strong where I'm weak. Now, that can frustrate the bejesus out of me sometimes. But boy, it makes us a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. And so we don't seek relationship because they're exactly like us. In fact, Many times we seek the opposite of us. Opposites attract, right? So that we can be more complete as a unit than we were together. And so they require unique talents and abilities. My wife and I have had conversation after conversation about how I couldn't do what she does. She couldn't do what I do, but I couldn't do what she does. But we are thankful for each other. Now, we don't always express that, but that's, that's how we feel. That's the attitude of our heart. One of the other uh, ways that God de describes his people, his church, is as an army. Now, think about that. Think about the uniqueness of an army. Right? A war is declared on multiple fronts. You've got infantry. You've got cavalry. You've got the, uh, you've got the, the war of the sea. You've got the war in the air. And you can lose just one of those and lose the entire war. But it requires each one working together, though not the same, working together in their role in order to complete a common purpose. Look at what Romans 12, 4 through 5 says. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Do you know why we respond differently to different things? Because we have different functions and roles to play in the church. And what's beautiful as a pastor is to see people starting to function in the roles that they're intended. I'll be honest with you, we're not perfect at that. We don't bat 100 at putting people exactly where they need to be serving. 
and where their passion is and where their gifting is. But to see that happen and to go, oh, I found it. We found it for this person. This person found their purpose, and man, it's so obvious to see them operating in that purpose. This is, there's a, a beauty to it. There's a harmony to it. But Christ is the glue. Though many, we are one body in Christ. It is Christ that's going to bind us together. Colossians 1 tells us he's the head of the body. He's the head, and we get our marching orders from him. But look at 1 Corinthians 12, 15, and we'll be done. The foot should not say... Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And the ear should not say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? This speaks to our ability to have a false humility that is actually a... At the underbelly is pride. This speaks to those that would look at other people in the church and go, I don't have their gifting, so God hasn't called me to do this. I don't have the gifting of Alan. I don't have the gifting of Will. I don't have the gifting of this teacher or that person. And so I just don't have a role to play. I don't have enough to bring to the table. God is looking at a person that sees themselves of less worth than someone else and says, you have a part to play. Just because you're not some of these other strengths does not mean that you are not a part of the body of Christ. And then he says it in reverse. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Each one of them, as he chose, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If the former speaks to the lack of self-worth within us, this, this verse speaks to the abundance of selfishness within us. We can look at people not like us and say, you don't have a part to play here because you're not handling it the way that I would handle it. You're going about it differently. I don't like you. I don't get along with you. Hey, if Jesus and his death on the cross bridged the great gap between death to life for you, don't you think his blood is sufficient to bridge any differences you may have with someone else in this church? But what we do is we get selfish. Say, I'm not going to be a part of what this person is leading. I'm not going to be a part of what this person is going to be at because they're not like me. It makes me uncomfortable and I'm out. To do that is the same amount of selfishness. They're not a hand like I'm a hand. They're not a nose or an ear like I'm a nose or an ear so they don't have a part to play. No. We are all called. And for us to miss fellowship. There are some in this room because of personality quirks or what we would consider incompatibility have made decisions to withdraw fellowships in certain contexts doesn't show 
our ability to play peacemaker shows our inability to reconcile what Christ has already reconciled through his blood. It shows us how immature we truly are. You say, because you're different than me, because you don't always fit, I don't want anything to do with you. And God forbid we respond in either of those two ways. I don't have a part to play, or you don't play my part, so you don't belong here. I love what one commentary said. It says, no matter how important any member may be of the body, there can be no body formed from it alone. That would be a monster, not a body. If everybody's running around with tons of ears and no eyes, that's a monster. It's not a body. Reminds me of the joke my kids used to, what has five ears, seven mouths, and three noses? What do you call something like that? Well, you call it ugly, right? Because it's a monster, right? And as the body of Christ, listen, there is nothing more ineffective than getting someone out of their role. But there are people who are made to play certain roles in our church, but can't play them because they've got to play another role because another member won't step up. There's nothing more ineffective than watching an ear try to do the job of an eye or to watch a hand do the job of a feet. We are all members of one body. You have a role to play. And if you are not playing that role, you are missing God's divine opportunity for you to make an everlasting difference in this world in your family, in your churches, we are united. Why? Ultimately, because Christ put us together. What I, what I just have you do, look at your families, right? Christ puts you together. That was an accident. That wasn't an accident. Christ puts you together. Guess what? You're here not by accident. If Christ has called you to this church, it is not by accident. There is a part for you to play. You could have been a part and a member of any other church at any other time in history and any place in the world. But God put you here. Play the role. Let's be effective together. Some of us... Need to quit playing roles we were not intended to play in our homes. There is nothing more disjointed in a family than we see a man playing the role of someone else. Not being the spiritual leader, the tone setter, the thermostat, the, 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 the lid, spiritual lid for their home that God has called them to be. But instead they're drugged to church by their wife if they come to church. I've had a man one time when I was um, a youth pastor. He came up and talked to me, and I, was, I started talking about it. I said, man, I'm so excited for your kid. He had made a decision for Christ. He was discipling. He was meeting in D groups with these, these other guys. Uh, a couple of them were older than him, and he was still discipling, which I just thought was so cool. And I was like, man, I'm so excited about what you're doing, what you're, what's going on in your kid's life. You know what he looked at me and he said? He said, yeah, my son's been the spiritual leader in our home for a long time. It's the role God has called us to play. But instead, we chase other things that make us feel more important, like money or career or sin. We miss the role that God has called us to play. So what role 
have you been called to play? It's by God's grace that we ought not think of ourselves higher than we should. Because we didn't get what we deserved. But how is God leading you? Are you playing that role in your family? Are you playing that role in your church? Are you where you need to be with the Lord? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm thankful that I'm not talking to everybody in this room. I'm thankful for people that play crucial roles in the life of our family, in the life of our church. I'm thankful. And if there is effectiveness, it's not from us. It's not from me. It's from people playing the role they were intended to play. So if you're here today, and listen, you're not a part of the family of God. You're not a part of His army, His bride, His flock, all of these different expressions of the same idea. If you're not a part of that, I want to invite you to that. Come be a part of the family of God. Jesus came to this world, loved you enough to pursue you in the middle of your filth and your sin. He died on the cross taking your punishment and my punishment. And if we would just receive him as Lord and Savior, we could have forgiveness from sins and he could make us new. It's not from cleaning ourselves up and making ourselves more presentable. It's from leaning on him and trusting his work of salvation in our life. And if you're here today and you haven't done that, I want to invite you to respond to that. You can respond today to relationship with Jesus Christ. He offers freely for you. Maybe you're in here and maybe you need, you have a role to play. Whatever that looks like, I pray the Holy Spirit has already laid that on your heart. You know that you have a relationship with Christ, but it's time for you to enlist. It's time for you to be a part of what God is doing so that we can be more effective as His body under Him who is the head. This is God's design for you. Our families as a team playing our role for the glory of God. Father, have your will and way in this place.